Dr. Alan Fleischer is professor in the Department of Dermatology at Wake Forest University School of Medicine and co-director of the Center of Dermatology Research. He is also executive director of dermatology at Mertz Pharmaceuticals, and he trained as undergraduate and medical student at the University of Missouri, Columbia. His residency and chief residency training in dermatology was completed at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, whereupon he joined the faculty of the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. He was published five dermatology textbooks, over 280 peer-reviewed articles, and has presented results from his research and medical care throughout the United States and on multiple other continents. Since 2000, he has been selected by his peers as one of the best doctors in America. Please welcome Dr. Alan Fleischer. Appreciate it. Well, these are the brave souls that have made it to the end. So. Uh, uh, I really appreciate your sticking around. I hope to give you a few insights from what I've learned over the past two and a half decades. Um, some of this uh, may be a little countercultural, but um, it doesn't matter. The goal is to have effective topical treatment. Now, um, every single drug that was mentioned in the uh, last talk, I've prescribed in spades. I'm not against uh, uh, aggressive systemic treatment. Uh, and at one point, I was the nation's leading prescriber of oral thalidomide. So I'm OK with aggressive treatment. But at the same time, topical treatment still has a place. In fact, if you think about your own practice, most of the patients you treat are treated exclusively with topical drugs. And we need to in innovate. Now, Let's see, there we go. In terms of uh, conflicts of interest, I have many um, uh, listed here. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, Halloween, I've never spoken on Halloween before. These are my uh, uh, twin daughters, uh, Sarah and Rebecca. They're now actually um, about to turn 16. Um, well, why bother with topical treatment? You know, for acne, let's just put everybody on isotretinoin. For atopic dermatitis, nothing works better, I assure you, than high-dose cyclosporin. Contact dermatitis, every need, body needs two milligrams uh, per kilo per day of uh, prednisone, um, rosacea, uh, isotretinoin, psoriasis, infliximab. Go big, 10 mg per kilogram per, per dose, absolutely. But these drugs have issues. You just heard about some of those issues. And why innovate? Well, in fact, compliance with what we traditionally have been taught may not be quite as good as we think. People come back all the time and say, well, I didn't get better with what you did, doc, or I didn't get better with what your partner did or someone up the block did. And they don't always get to where they need to be. Now, this is topical treatment. Uh, this is, yes, you can buy Halloween costumes for dogs. Okay, so one of my tenets is, hmm, how should we prescribe topical drugs? And I'm just gonna show you some studies, um, and there are no studies that contradict what I'm about to show you, uh, and I happen to believe that randomized control trials can show us a lot. This is a study of azelaic acid 15% gel, that's Phenacia, comparing once a day and twice a day treatment. What do you know? The pimple count reduction is identical. 
How about atopic dermatitis? This was a meta-analysis that was done, and uh, this was done by uh, uh, Howell Williams, the guy who founded Evidence-Based Medicine and Dermatology, and the vertical line in the center means there's no difference between once a day and twice a day. And the 95% confidence interval in these five randomized controlled trials, comparing once daily treatment and twice daily treatment, exactly goes over no effect. Um, how about clindamycin? There was a study of clindamycin for acne once a day versus twice a day, same effect. If you look at the response of once daily DUAC and twice daily benzoclin, they're exactly the same. Isn't this interesting? What a trend we have here. Once daily treatment with triamcinolone for psoriasis versus twice daily treatment. Yep, you guessed it. Same effect. And if you look uh, at the package insert for Dovinex, which is calcibotriene, it says there's no difference between twice daily and once daily treatment. Huh, isn't that fascinating? Hmm. Hmm. So, how do people really put these things on? Um, well, we used to take folks' word for what they did, but you know, I've learned more from my partner in crime, Steve Feldman. Uh, uh, we did residency together, and uh, we subsequently have done uh, uh, a couple of decades at Wake Forest together. And he has done a whole series of study using these MEMS caps, which electronically know to the second when the cap is removed and not removed. And Adele Clark, who's in the audience, is uh, uh, the uh, head of our, uh, of our clinical studies unit. She's actually the one doing the studies. You know, Steve Feldman just thinks up these studies. She actually does the studies. Um, and um, how do people really put on medicine? Well, this is a study of teenagers, and they were told to put on benzoyl peroxide twice a day um, and given it in these MEMS caps. And, you know, um, the red line across the middle shows once daily treatment, and right around 24 days, they crossed the threshold from, uh, or to, to exactly achieve once daily treatment. In fact, this is true across the world with any disease study you, you look at. Uh, you know, this is an atopic dermatitis study where um, kiddos were told, to, uh, parents were told to put this on their kiddos twice a day. They did pretty well for a couple of days. And then you can see that, honestly, um, they got it on about once every other day, their topical treatment for atopic dermatitis. Um, psoriasis pretty much the same thing, although it takes longer to get to once a day treatment for them. Maybe there's something special about psoriasis a little bit different. So, sorry. Um, if there's no difference between once a day treatment and twice a day treatment, why do we prescribe drugs twice a day? I don't. We have this dumb medical record system, this electronic medical record system that is foisted on us last month. And, you know, I've changed all of my templates to all be once a day. Why? Well, you know, I used to take the attitude, well, I'm going to tell parents of atopics to put on the drug twice a day so that, you know, if they get it on once a day, which they'll probably do, it'll work anyway. Twice a day is probably a little bit better. And then I was having dinner with a pediatric uh, dermatologist. Um, and he shared with me an insight that I had not considered, which is that one of the things that we do best is create guilt that's unnecessary. So, you know, 
when I thought about this, this was Larry Shackner. We had dinner in Chicago, and I thought, oh, yeah. You know, my daughter Rebecca had terrible atopic dermatitis. Um, she really did, and we had to treat her every single day. But at the same time, gosh, we had three kids, two, two uh, cats, a pet, two full-time jobs. How can we do this, you know? Um, and we never got drug on her more than once a day. Why am I asking my patients to do more? I don't. Every regimen I have for acne, psoriasis, it makes no difference. Lichen planus, you name it, is once a day. You can tell people to do things 16 times a day. Good luck. Well, when you're going to put everything on at the same time, because that's the requirement, everything has to go on at the same time, they all have to be compatible. Well, dermatology is easy. Most things are compatible. So that makes it simple. So almost everything you can mix together in the same jar or at least squirt two tubes on at the same time or four tubes on, get away with it. There are certain exceptions. If you know the exceptions, nothing else is an exception. What's an exception? So the vitamin D drugs, the vitamin D analogs, and anything acidic, salicylic acid, lactic acid, um, ammonium lactate, anything acidic. No, 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 no. You don't want to mix those together. And generic tretinoin and benzoyl peroxide. No, no. Can't do that at the same time. Now, it turns out, through a twist of fate, you can put on Retin-A micro, uh, or you can put on Xeana, which are stabilized forms of tretinoin. No problem. Same time benzoyl peroxide, easy schmeasy. Um, Dapsone. Dapsone's kind of a delicate molecule. That's the only other one you need to know about. Everything else in dermatology is compatible with everything. It's nice. What about Dapsone? Well, we did a study of Dapsone a number of years ago, which was a combination study with adapalene that is different and benzoyl peroxide. Now, they were supposed to put it on at different times, but some of the people in the study um, uh, on the benzoyl peroxide side um, noticed they had a, a brown material on their face. And I thought, yeah, I remember this. Once I used to, you know, I've used every acne product in the universe. I used to use the drug Claron, which is uh, sulfacetamide, kind of a nice old product. And um, when I put it on at the same time as benzoyl peroxide, it made brown stuff on my shirt, on my face. It was disgusting. So it's a chemical reaction. Well, I had a medical student stay awake all night for a couple of nights. And uh, this is not skin, but um, at the time, we put... Um, sulfacetamide and dapsone combined with lots of different products, but um, from the, uh, I'll just point over here, from the left to the right, these are benzoyl peroxide combos, and all the, the others don't contain benzoyl peroxide. And in two hours with uh, dapsone, we start seeing in the benzoyl peroxides a little bit of browning. At four hours, more significant browning. At six hours, ooh, things are happening here. Now it's happening up here with sulfacetamide. That's what I found out with Claron. And after two washings, the stuff didn't come out. So um, benzoyl peroxide is not compatible at the same time with Dapsone. That's no problem. It could be put on a different time. So um, one of my tricks is that uh, when I treat acne patients, um, I have them use a wash. 
Hopefully, they've washed it off. No issues. Okay, lots of costumes. Now, go back to basics with topical treatment. If there's a lot of data, we should use it. I trained at a time in dermatology where we did things because our teachers told us to do things, and that was the right way. Now there's a lot of data. Let's look at some of the data. What about acne treatment with retinoids, use enough, and occlusion? Well, what about retinoids? Now, retinoids are a pain in the neck to prescribe topically to your acne patients. Who here actually doesn't use retinoids? Is anyone brave enough to say they don't? It's okay. Everybody does, which is good. You know, if I was giving a talk to pediatricians, three-quarters would not raise their hand. Um, not, not because pediatricians are bad people, because they're not, um, but it takes time to prescribe retinoids. It really does. It takes an extra minute or two out of my life that I could be more efficiently doing other things. So, but if we look at the data, and this was a huge meta-analysis, a report from the Global Alliance to improve outcomes in acne, what do you know? Um, the results are so clear. Um, and this was published in 2003, I think, in the JAD. Um, topical retinoids should be um, a fundamental part of just about every acne regimen. They're best used early. They should be applied to the entire area. This third bullet point is really important. I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me and from other doctors, hopefully not from me, and they say they're putting it on their spots and they're never getting ahead. That's because you're doing it wrong. So that's not how we do it. Um, and combinations are more effective. Um, and speaking of which, this was a study. It was done with retin-A microsphere, you know, uh, tretinoin microsphere, and a whole cohort of patients being treated for acne without retinoids were dissatisfied with their care. And they entered into the study. Okay, so we can ask, why were they being treated without retinoids? Well, that's a whole other point. But they were not being treated with retinoids, and they were allowed to use as much as two other treatments, and a retinoid was added. And what do we see? The vast majority of people improved. About 80%, 85% of people improved when you add a retinoid into an other acne regimen. This is not rocket science. Now, using enough medicine. One of the problems with retinoids is it's easy to use too much. But with other things, it's easy to use too little. You know, the pharmacist will tell you, put on a super thin layer, you know, on your big, thick psoriatic plaques because they're going to just melt away in 26 hours. No, it ain't going to happen. So um, uh, people with rip-roaring atopic dermatitis need to slather their skin with drug, not just a thin layer. They need to use a lot. And in fact, in this study, which was out of uh, Denmark, it showed 95% of patients underdose their topical drugs. Now, that's an amazing number. Now, I use analogies with people. So it gets me out of the starting block with them. So when someone comes in with a rip-roaring dermatitis, I have one of three analogies. This is, this is one I use now. I get bored, so I go on to other analogies. So, okay, your skin is on fire. When the firefighters come out to put out a house fire, do you see them all get out their teaspoons and put the water on a teaspoon at a time? No, they use the fire hose. And then, after 20 minutes, they roll up the fire hoses and they're gone. They use an enormous amount. I use that one, 
or I use cake frosting. How you want to put it on? Like cake frosting. Everybody knows what cake frosting is. It's a super thick, disgusting layer. Or hospital inpatient story. So I used to admit patients to the hospital for skin disease. I know it's hard to believe such things don't happen, but I used to admit bad atopics, psoriatics, all kinds of people. Insurance companies allowed it, no trouble. I know it's hard to believe, but here was my expectation, and I had orders for the nurses to do this. We would use one pound per day of topical treatment per patient. One pound per day, 454 grams, no less. Okay, young kiddos, maybe two, 300 grams, but we would slop it on. It's amazing what two days of a pound a day will do. Now, that's a lot. I don't want people to do that at home. And I tell them, I don't want you to do this at home. Because in a hospital room, you know, they can hose down the walls and the furniture. You know, it's no problem. You'll ruin all your carpets and hardwood floors and stuff if you do this. But the point I like to make is that it's unbelievable what happens to people when they use a lot. Um, we used to have uh, you know, outpatient uh, Geckerman treatment, where they would have basically a half a pound of tar put on them a day. It's amazing what a half a pound of tar, you know, does, but it smells up, it smells so bad. So, now when I want people to use a little, okay, different story. This is the most powerful corticosteroid available in the world. Don't use it for more than two weeks. People would be so frightened they might not even use it the first time. They might not even get it from the pharmacy because they're so scared. Or this drug has a black box warning for causing cancer. It may be dangerous. I mean, are you going to get that drug? A different way with a black drug, we heard about black box drugs earlier today, a different way of looking at black box drugs, um, you know, uh, with say, uh, Elidel, you know, which is pemacrolimus or tacrolimus. Um, you know, in randomized control trials of humans, all the studies showed that it prevented studies in humans. But when laboratory animals were fed orally massive systemic doses, doses beyond which could ever be given to a human being, they got cancer. Don't eat it. That works. And then there's something called the nocebo effect. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect is the expected side effect that will occur if a patient expects it to occur. And this has traditionally been associated with placebos. So you give someone a lactose pill, and yeah, they're not lactose intolerant. You give them a lactose pill, and you'd say, well, this is a clinical study, and we're here to evaluate its you know, effect on this and that, and the, but you could get diarrhea, you could get this and that. Darn if people don't get headaches, diarrhea, just about any side effect they're, taught, they're talking about. And this happens not just with placebos, um, this is a true human phenomenon. Patients that hear they're supposed to have a side effect, what do you know they have it? Now, one of our trainees has gone so far as to say he now no longer talks about side effects because, uh, you know, then it's cut down his number of phone calls tremendously. Now, I'm not sure Bob Henderson is doing the right thing. Uh, 
you know, there are side effects we need to hear about. You know, on isotretinoin, I really want to know when people have headaches and blurred vision. I, I just want to know. I don't think too many people are going to make it up. I want to know about that blurred vision. So it's a balancing act that each of you has to face. How do you carefully inform patients of appropriate side effects but get out of the door fast? I don't know. So, and speaking of black box warnings, believe only some of what you read. Now, some of you went out to the coffee break. I had two cups of coffee. And there was sucrose out there. Sucrose is table sugar. Now, if you look at the material safety data sheet for sucrose, what does it say? It says lab protective equipment, goggles, lab coat, proper gloves. I did not see one pair of eye goggles out there by the coffee stand. This hotel it must be not in compliance with OSHA rules. No, I mean, just because it says that doesn't mean it's reality. How can you justify having the MSDS for sucrose saying that you have to have proper gloves to wear it? But that's what the MSDS says. Not everything that's written is correct. Now, occlusion is one of my favorite tricks. I love to occlude things. I see folks who come in and they fail to respond to all kinds of things. Um, and you, know, you might think the first thing to do is to start them on cyclosporin, start them on thalidomide. And I do that. But there are also people that we do other things with. I like saran wrap. I like glad wrap. I like food line brand wrap. It doesn't make any difference. Any kind of plastic wrap is your best friend. You smear the stuff on occluded overnight or whenever it works for the patient, and it's pretty unbelievable what happens, particularly when people have a tendency of picking. Yes, they're out there. Uh, people can't keep their fingers off. When they occlude it, it's amazing what happens. They keep their fingers off because they, well, they now realize they have to, and it enhances penetration. This was a study of calcipatriene showing that it had a much more rapid effect when occluded. No surprise. And here are the drugs that I've occluded. I've occluded clobetasol, which is the world's most potent steroid. I've occluded vitamin D analogs. I've occluded calcineurin inhibitors. I'll occlude anything. Now, it should, I should tell you in the package insert, uh, it says, Clobex spray should not be occluded. Uh, Calcibitrine should not be occluded. Tacrolimus should not be occluded. I don't care. I really don't care. I just want the patient better. And you know what? By the way, here's a quick note. I never write in my prescriptions to occlude things. Never. Never. Because the pharmacist will see that and say, you know, you got a stupid doctor. It says right in our smarty pants, you know, computer base that they shouldn't do this. And then, you know, they've lost faith in you and, and, and that's the end. So don't write it, just tell it. You can write it in your notes, it doesn't bother me. Um, uh, so uh, uh, the other thing I don't put on my prescriptions is for intraoral use of things. So there are a lot, you know, for treating intraoral um, uh, athy. You can use potent corticosteroid gels, really great approach. But the first thing you do is they give them this prescription, put it in your mouth six times a day, and the pharmacist will tell them, you know, this is not approved for intraoral use. Just don't write it. Total body occlusion. Now, I am a big fan 
you know, bad atopics, bad psoriatics of using sauna suits. Have any of you recommended sauna suits, or is this way out there? I, now it's, it's me and one other. Okay. Now, does it work, do you think? Yes? No? Maybe. So, now, you have to have a patient willing to do this. Okay, not everybody's willing to do it. So this is a select patient population. But say you have someone with atopic dermatitis on 60% body surface area, they're, and they're not doing well. They're a great candidate for systemic treatment, but you're convinced they just might do well with good topical treatment. You prescribe you know, your favorite uh, drug in bulk. When I say in bulk, I think in terms of multiple pounds at a time. Triamcinolone comes in five pound jars, incidentally. And you have them smear it on, put on the sauna suit. It's disgusting. They'll tell you it's disgusting. But it works just like when we used to admit patients to the hospital. It's amazing. So if you have a highly motivated patient that's willing to do it for just two or three days to see how they're doing, not six months, two or three days, it's amazing what it does. Okay, that's a different way of bandaging. Well, in some ways, we need to simplify. I talked about once daily treatment, and everything that I prescribe is once daily. Um, and uh, uh, with Adele Clark's help, um, one of our fellows, Brad Yenser with Steve Feldman, did this study um, simplifying the regimen with acne. Now, this was the construct of the study. People were given either two tubes of, the, of medicine or they were given one tube that contained the same medicines combined. And the question was, which did they do better with? Now, if you're OCD like me, you open two tubes, it's no big deal. But a lot of people aren't made like me. Go figure. And people did a lot better opening one tube with two ingredients than two tubes separately. Well, that's how we're put together. And two may provide a better effect than one. I mean, there's great data. You know, combination of tretinoin and clindamycin is more effective than either of its component parts. Combination of benzoyl peroxide and adapalene is more effective than either of its component parts. And this is nothing new. There are a lot of studies that show combinations of acne drugs, combinations of psoriasis drugs, combinations of all kinds of drugs are more effective than either component part. Just a, a fun aside. It was about 15 years ago I had teleconferences with hundreds of dermatologists across the country, and this is when we were introducing the combination of combinations of corticosteroids and uh, uh, vitamin D analogs uh, in treating psoriasis. And in talking with these hundreds of dermatologists um, on the telephone, um, there were hundreds of different combination regimens each person had a different regimen, and each person knew that they were right. What I took away from that is that, you know, there are a lot of ways of skinning the cat. There really are. So anyway, every combo regimen using different things shows better effect. Okay. Now, what motivates the patient? How do you get them to do it? You guys have to be the cheerleaders. You have to read patients. You have to understand what's going on. But you know, you also have to know a little bit of basic psychology. So um, uh, this was an acne study in teens, again, using these MEMS caps and what they actually did. Um, my favorite 
um, take home message from this study is um, the red line at the bottom. Uh, when we asked the parent responsible to nag their kid to put on the acne medicine, it was absolutely the least effective modality at getting people to do the job, okay? The most effective was bringing them back for uh, recurrent visits, but it turns out that moms, and occasionally dads, but moms can't make their teens put on their acne medicine. And in fact, teens are notoriously poor with acne adherence. Um, uh, uh, and I personally do not make the parent responsible. In fact, I make a point of trying to say that in the room. This is your responsibility. Now, mom or dad may remind you, but that's not their job. It's your job. It's your acne. I don't really care whether you get better or not. It's your acne. Um, and I do let them know the time commitment. I ask people with acne, not on isotretinoin, that's a whole other story, um, uh, I ask people with acne to commit no more than two minutes a day. Wash with a therapeutic wash. Put on their acne topicals. Everything goes on at once and take oral once a day. That's it. It can't take more than two minutes. Some people can't find it, two minutes, but that's all it takes. Now, preteens need help. So if you have a nine-year-old with pretty significant acne, they're not getting better with their own treatment. I mean, unless they're an exceptional nine-year-old. Um, and I have seen lots of nine-year-olds for acne, and quite honestly, you know, if the parent wants to do it, it's gonna work. And if the parent doesn't wanna do it, it's not gonna work. It's not the same in 15-year-olds. 15 and nine is not the same developmental stage. Um, and just a bizarre aside, um, uh, I've been seeing a lot more acne that's worse and worse at younger and younger ages. And um, uh, I've treated 11-year-olds with oral isotretinoin because they've failed other treatments. And you know, I, I see lots of eight-year-olds with acne. This is, this is really amazing to me because 20 years ago, they did not exist. Well, I was driving down the road listening to National Public Radio, and was listening to this bizarre story out of something like Cincinnati Children's, where this person studies breast development in prepubescent girls. And apparently, breast development is getting younger and younger. And you know, this is paralleling menarche getting younger and adrenarche getting younger. And I was thinking, you know, I'm seeing all these younger acne patients. What's, I wonder if there's, this is yet another sign of early maturation. And so, um, you know, within two weeks, we had this manuscript written. Uh, 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 and it wasn't based upon my observation, but rather we looked at national data. And if you look over 30 years, the average age of kids presenting for acne visits has declined by over uh, one calendar year. But more importantly, this is acne in the age six to eight group. Now we'd all agree, six to eight year olds presenting for acne is pretty young, right? Okay, um, and it has gone up quite precipitously in the past few decades. So um, the only thing that I would like to impart with you is that if you are going to treat these patients, the parent has to be involved. <laughs>
They've got to be intimately involved. If they're not involved, it doesn't matter. It's, they're not going to get better. So is it just me, or do some of you see seven, eight-year-olds and manage acne, or is it just me? Huh? Some of you. Some of you. And adults and teens are not the same. Now, my teenagers think they're adults, but they're not. Um, and this was um, uh, a look at uh, data from um, a study, and it looked at improvement rates in women. And what do you know that adult women did better in treatment than teens? Now, what's interesting, teens have somewhat worse acne than adults. Um, teens, uh, you know, always talk about their face. You know, all the clear cell ads are geared towards the teenagers, but adults did better. And this is because adults care more. They really do. You know, um, we did a study a number of years ago of acne patients. We did one of teens and one of adults. And one of the surprising findings was adults commented with their acne that it was really quite stressful for them. Whereas by contrast, okay, teens don't like their acne, but all their friends have acne. And it's, you know, they're okay if they have a few zits on their face. But adults, you know, they're put in charge of a bank portfolio of $10 million. They're supposed to look like an adult, and here they are looking, you know, like they're still a teenager. And they're not supposed to, but they do. So, Adults are really more motivated. That's not to say that teens, you should give up on them and that all teens are created equal, but there are greater barriers to success in treating teens than adults. Now, what about successful acne treatment? Does anyone remember skin cap and the craze? This was more than a decade ago. You, all too young to remember this. This was an amazing thing. I used to be part of the psoriasis world and go to all these psoriasis meetings. I, I gave that up. But anyway, so um, I would be going to these advisory boards and other psoriasis meetings, and people would say, and I stopped PUVA and methotrexate and this and that um, because people started skin cap. And skin cap was advertised to contain only zinc pyrothione, which is the stuff in Head & Shoulders shampoo. And very safe, it was in a nice, elegant vehicle. What a great thing. Um, and, and you know, some of my patients came in and said, I've heard about this skin cap and started using it. What do you think? I have the same response to anything I don't know about. It's really safe. You know, I don't know anything about it. Um, if you want to use it, you go right ahead, but uh, there's no data. Um, you know, people ask me about using witch hazel or, you know, broom thistle. I, it doesn't make any difference with it. I don't know if it's safe or effective. If you want to use it, fine. Well, anyway, so skin cap had, a, there was a craze about its use, a true craze. Well, um, people liked it. They thought it was totally safe. It turns out that it contained clobetasol propionate sold over the counter, and it was in very high concentration. And that's why people did very well, because you know clobetasol is not just a topical drug, it's an oral drug too, if you apply enough. You know, there was a study, of a, the, the study that convinced me that Clobex shampoo worked was their HPA axis suppression studies. They had teens put it on their scalp, and something like 20 30% of the teens got HPA axis suppression. I immediately concluded 
this drug really works. You know, so clobetasol is a super potent, great drug. I prescribe a lot of it. So the long and the short of it, this was pulled from the market. This is still available. I went to a meeting a couple of years ago. Now, not in the United States, in another country. And, uh, and the, the folks selling this uh, are still saying, no, there's no corticosteroid. But it's been found in multiple countries to contain corticosteroid. But it was so successful because it had no side effects. It was totally safe. It wasn't like the horrible drugs my physician assistant prescribes. That's terrible. It's goopy and it has all these side effects and comes with all these warnings. And the pharmacist gives me this page that's that long. Oh my god, this is safe. Well. When people use drugs, they really work. OK. Now, what vehicles do patients want? Um, and you know, I've gotten into the habit of asking. So not every patient is created equally. Personally, I prefer to not put ointments on my skin. I will, but I prefer not to put ointments on my skin. Other people really like ointments. My um, welcome to the American South was meeting many African-American patients who would never dream of ever using anything but an ointment on their skin because only ointments work. Really. And ointments in their scalp. Really. You know, that's not how I thought. You know, I wouldn't, I guess I could put an ointment on my scalp. I, I don't have any hair. But, um, your patients actually have an idea of what they want to use. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to give tape and lotion and foam. You know, you could limit your selection to just a few, but did you ever think to ask them? Because your patients will tell you how they want their products. Now, some things, you know, certain acne medicines only come one form, and that's the way it is. Um, but many other things don't come that way. Just a, a few select products I want to talk about. Tape, tape. Um, I am a huge fan of Cordran tape. You guys know about this product? It's a, it's a niche product. I don't even prescribe it once a month. Uh, but it's a great product for people with parigo nodules when they just can't keep their cotton picking fingers off. You have them cut out a little piece of tape, put it on there. You know, it's just a great adjunct. Products come in a lot of different forms. And if you are aware of these, you can customize treatment to the area. OK. Now, there are some different kinds of products worth talking about, newer or at least new indications or thoughts. So for instance, we don't have a drug for post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and acne. Now, I have never personally, I've, I'm 51 years old and I still have acne, but I've never had a post-inflammatory spot. But a lot of people with darker skin do, and in fact, they come in because of their dark spots. They don't care about the pimples, they care about the dark spots. And this was a cute little study by Leon Kirchik looking at azelaic acid in the treatment of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, and what do you know it works? Which is no surprise, because azelaic acid is just as effective as hydroquinone in decreasing pigmentation. It's no, hydroquinone is not more effective than azelaic acid. Now, incidentally, I'm not trying to promote this for, for that indication, because it turns out that um, in randomized controlled trials, which were done, um, azelaic acid is a bit more irritating than hydroquinone. So if you're just treating hyperpigmentation, no, 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 you want to think about other things. 
But if you're treating acne with hyperpigmentation, hmm, there's no drug, but this kind of works. And when there are no other great choices, you think, well, you know, I read a lot of journals because I fly airplanes and, you know, it keeps me occupied in the air. And I read this journal way back. Topical rapamycin inhibits tuberous sclerosis tumor growth in nude mouse model. Okay, I know. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with Kobe. Kobe came to see me three years ago, and I just saw him two months ago. Um, and his parents, he had tuberous sclerosis complex, and his parents wanted to talk with me about um, pulse dyed laser, CO2 laser, fraxel laser, all this kind of stuff, because he had these angiofibromas on his face, these vascular growth things that these kiddos get. And I said, listen, listen, I've been waiting for a patient to just try this on. What do you think about trying topical rapamycin which is this immunosuppressant, yeah, 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 but it's really safe and da, 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 da. Anyway, three months later, he comes back. He's totally clear. I just saw him two months ago. He's totally clear. These were parents who wanted to, you know, have him consciously sedated to have laser things done to his face. And now he's totally clear by smearing a little stuff on his skin. Just because it's not out there and not indicated doesn't mean it doesn't work. Actually, we did this in another patient, in a teenager, and not so successful. Actually, it had some effect, but not so successful. Um, you want to catch them young. Um, and speaking of it, you know, there's been a lot of talk. You go to any pediatric derm meeting, the first thing they talk about is propranolol for hemangiomas. The first time I heard about it, I was really excited. The 98th time I heard about it, I wasn't so excited. But what I'm excited about is topical timolol. Have any of you tried timolol, which is an ophthalmic drug for um, rapidly growing hemangiomas? Yes, yes, yeah, one yes. Did it work? It worked very well, absolutely. Now, there's nothing wrong with oral propranolol, but it's got issues, you know? If you can de deliver the drug right to the area, it's gotta be better. So it's not my idea, it's been published, and it's worth thinking about. Um, now, not for giant, ugly, nasty hemangiomas that are taking over Jupiter, but you know, little things that are starting to grow. Lice, disgusting. And by the time they get to you, they've already been on Rick, you know, RID and Nick's and this and that, and they, you know, they're frustrated and it's disgusting. Um, it turns out there's a new drug, Natroba, which is indicated twice as effective as permethrin. Twice as effective. And it contains benzyl alcohol, which is pretty safe. Okay, it's a minor allergen, but it's pretty safe. And so um, uh, there's Ovid. Um, Ovid is, you know, it's got some problems because it's a little neurotoxic. Um, but new treatments are kind of nice because by the time they get to you, permethrin's no longer an, op an option, right? Okay. Now, use the most potent drug in the class. We had a fellow that was with us a number of years ago, and he said, you prescribe a lot of clobetasol. <laughs> you bet I do. Our, our residents made a t-shirt for me that said, go big or stay home. I, I believe in that, go big. So, you know, don't pretend to treat, you just treat. And when I treat fungal infections, how about effective drugs? So why not use fungicidal drugs instead of fungostatic drugs? 
Anything that ends in azole is fungostatic. It doesn't kill it. Hmm, isn't that interesting? But um, uh, our old friend cyclopyrox is fungicidal, and the other ones are the allyl and benzylamines. They're fungicidal. Everything else is not. Hmm, hmm. And with allylamines, you put it on the skin once, and it sticks around five to 10 days. That works great. I've got tinea pedis, thanks to the YMCA local. Yes, uh, uh, it's helped me out a lot. And uh, you know, I treat it for three, four days. I'm done. That's what everybody else does, too. So it's nice when a drug is very keratinophilic, sticks around for a long, long time. And the allyl and benzylamines are much more effective. They have the longest cutaneous half-life of any of the drugs known. Um, and they have a different mechanism of action uh, compared with imidazoles and the uh, allylamines upstream in the ergosterol synthesis pathway. Yes, uh, ergosterol is a necessary component of fungal cell walls. We don't have cell walls. We've got cell membranes. Fungus has cell walls and membranes. They're better than us. Um, in studies, um, looking at one of the allylamines, naftaphene, application for two weeks, then a four-week follow-up period, what do you know? People did really well. Just with two weeks of use, 67% mycologic cure. So choose effective drugs. Why choose less effective drugs if you have a choice? I try not to use low-potency steroids, except on the face, the breasts, the private parts. Yeah, I'm not going to use potent drugs there. Uh, well, even there I do otherwise. So I remember when the first article came out about treating lichen sclerosis with, uh, with clobetasol. That was unbelievable. We never used more than 1% hydrocortisone on the vulva before then. And here they are in England using clobetasol on the vulva, and they say, oh my god, it works. Well, sometimes, not just in lichen sclerosis, I see folks that come in with, you know, a scrotum from hell. You know, it's excoriated and it's thick. And I'm using potent drugs. Why not? Go big or stay home. Speaking of which, use the right strength of a drug. What is the right strength? Well, it depends on the drug. You have to know a little bit about the drugs. So 26 years ago, there was a study published looking at benzoyl peroxide, 2.5% versus 5% versus 10%. Okay, it's a terrible study. But, but it found that 2.5% was just as effective as 10%, but it had less irritation. That's, well, I'm sorry, I went the wrong way. Um, that's why the newer benzoyl peroxide combos have come out at 2.5%, because all you get when you add more concentration is more toxicity. Who needs that? Um, Higher strength adapalene is more effective than lower strength adapalene. Okay, it causes a little bit more irritation, but it's a bit more effective too. But here's where you don't get benefit. Higher strength tretinoin microsphere is not more effective than lower strength. All you get is more irritation. Why? Why would you prescribe a, a drug equally effective with more toxicity? No chance. Okay. Now, when treatment fails, and I know this happens, try your best to figure out 
why they didn't use their medicine. Now, I see a lot of learners, people who come in, and you know, one of the first thing the student learner, the resident learner, whatever learner, they, they say is, and the person has been using desonide four times a day, every day for the past six months, and hasn't gotten any better. Hmm, hmm. So, if they have the tube in front of you, you know, and you've noticed they used about five grams of a 30-gram tube over the past six months, you already have a clue as to what's going on. Um, I like tubes for that reason, or when people, thank goodness, bring in jars, tubes, you have an idea of what's actually happening. But, you know, there are lots of reasons that people fail to use medicines. Number one, the regimen is too complex. This actually is a real regimen. Look at this, this is a nine-part regimen. There are some strange people that will use a nine-part regimen to make themselves better, but they are exceptions to the rule. Um, and if um, you have mistakenly led them down a pathway which was just impossible. And some of my colleagues do this. They say, you know, put this on, wait an hour, put this on, wait six hours, repeat it in reverse order. Come on, you know? This is absurd. You wouldn't do it. You got two jobs. You can't do that. So, you know, none of us live that life. Um, drugs are too irritating. Um, uh, as someone who is a big enthusiast of topical retinoids, uh, I used a topical retinoid on me today. Um, you know, um, you have to be cautious. This is a lifetime atopic. You know, I go too far with retinoids. And in fact, Al Kligman, who developed the first retinoid, which is, was Retin-A, um, said atopics don't tolerate Retin-A. That's the guy who developed it. Well, they do, but it's just not quite as easy. So, so thinking about what you're doing, how you're doing it, is worthwhile. Some people say, I can't tolerate benzoyl peroxide. Well, maybe you put on a gloppin thick layer, the sort of cake frosting layer of benzoyl peroxide in 10% concentration. That's probably not the right approach. Um, so choosing the right drugs for the right individuals. There are some people who can tolerate extremely high concentrations of Tazerac on their face, Tazeratine. I'm not one of them, but it's a great drug. If you can tolerate that drug, it's a very effective retinoid. If you can't tolerate the drug, um, I'm allergic. People come back, I'm allergic. Yeah, they're not allergic. Patients do too much, use too much. Now, on the one hand, if I'm treating a rip-roaring atopic, I want them to put it on you know, in a slop and thick layer. But I actually carry around a tube of moisturizer in my pocket, and I show them what a quarter of a gram of topical retinoid looks like. I don't put on the retinoid, I put on a moisturizer. This is enough for your whole face. Because I used to, you know, go through, I did what I was taught, um, talk about the pea-sized drop. People have no earthly idea what a pea-sized drop is. They just have no conception. And if you show them how much it is and that they should touch it to their forehead, nose, cheek, and chin and rub it in from there, they might be closer. They're not probably going to use three grams instead of a quarter of a gram. A quarter of a gram is really not that much. You know, there are many grams in a McDonald's ketchup package, and we're not talking about that much. 
we're talking about just a little bit, of course they can increase the amount. But I like to demonstrate it for them right there, um, at least with retinoids, and I don't put the retinoids on me. I've already done that today. Choosing medication that's too messy. The classic example of this, um, uh, do any of you prescribe anthralin anymore? Anthralin, yes, no, yes, no, no anthralins here. Well, I used to be a big prescriber of anthralin. Imagine where we've come in treating psoriasis. We had no vitamin D analogs. We had, you know, we had no biologics. So we had to use drugs like anthralin. Anthralin is horrible. It not only is super irritating, you leave it on your skin for more than 20 minutes and it burns the hell out of it, but in addition, it turns your skin brown. In fact, people accused me of permanently staining their bathtub brown. Um, so what could be more messy than anthralin? Nothing. Okay, well, crude coal tar is pretty close, very close. Uh, but, you know, some people relish the idea of using really greasy ointments. They like that. Other people really want to gel. Other people want a solution. Try to figure out what your patient wants. Ah, I forgot to do it. You know, this is just, I, I, I love when patients tell you the truth. If you ask them the right question, they will tell you the truth, not the medical student question, and you're using the drug twice a day, just like it's, oh yes, yes, doctor. No, no, no. You know, with a teenager, about how many times in the past week did you miss putting on your medicine? And they'll tell you, they always do. They're nice, they're, you know, they're not trying to lie to you, they just wanna get better. Um, so sometimes different strategies can get people to remember things better. You know, tying what they're doing in with something else in their life. You know, with acne, which is the most notorious of the conditions that we have to treat and we have to enhance compliance on, but with a population that's really somewhat recalcitrant to that. So, well, you know, you can come up with some other strategy and, and uh, uh, I've, I've uh, individualized treatment based upon what people have said. You know, people say, can I put it on right after I take a shower? Absolutely. Can I put it on right before I take a shower? No, 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 that you can't do. But, um, so I had a very difficult patient once. This is a teenager. And the teenager said, well, I just can't remember to put on my acne medicine. I said, well, you know, let's tie it in with something you do every day. So how about if you put it on when you brush your teeth? And he said, I don't brush my teeth. His mother's jaw hit the floor. Unbelievable. So I think we've got a real issue here. So, you know, I'm not sure we're going to succeed. But Sometimes people will, if you ask them, what do you do every day in the bathroom that you can incorporate, or something of that sort, they will come up with a strategy that will help them out. Um, it's them that's going to develop the, the strategy, not really you. And there are some people that just hate to apply things to their skin. So this is over a year ago now, but I saw a teenager with acne that said, I won't put on topical drugs. Not quite in that language. Um, I said, you're not gonna get better. And he started to argue with me. I said, this is not an argument. 
you're not going to get better. This is your acne. If you're going to get better, you're going to use your medicine. If you don't want to use your medicine, it's fine with me. You won't get better. And he kept trying to argue. This is not an argument. <laughs> you can put it on your terms. Now, admittedly, we have amazing drugs for just about any condition. Could I have cleared this teenager with oral isotretinoin? Absolutely. No question. On the other hand, his acne wasn't bad enough to warrant that. I, and I'm not too concerned about this, you know, the you know, inflammatory bowel disease, all this other stuff. But it's just a pain in the neck to put someone through five months of chapped lips and blood tests and monthly visits and harassing eye pledge programs. And do you really want to do this to your patient if they can just smear a little good stuff on their skin and do fine? And um, I don't know um, if I'm unique, but at least once a year, I see someone that comes in with no more than two blackheads on their nose and insists on going on oral isotretinoin. Am I the only one that sees these patients? They insist. I have tried proactive, I've tried this active and that active, and I'm not using your stuff. You're putting me on Accutane. No, I'm not. <laughs> so and they don't, don't usually come back. And that's fine. Um, that's fine. Because I do use a lot of oral isotretinoin. I think it's a wonderful drug. My son completed a course. I'm very comfortable with him completing a course. But he had horrible nodular acne with things sticking out. And he failed to respond to conventional treatment. OK, so he didn't use his topicals so well. So, I know my daughters are using their topicals because they say, Dad, will you get me more of the clindamycin? Dad, we're running out of the salicylic acid and benzoyl peroxide in our shower. We need more. My son never asked for more. Hmm. 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 I wonder if he was using that stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Well, if you work, if you use topical treatment, it actually will work. Yes, I have patients on cyclosporin and thalidomide and infliximab and yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have patients on all these drugs. But at the end of the day, topical treatments are much safer for your patients. They're great adjuncts, even when you have a horrible atopic. I got an email message from one of my bad atopics. Now, just let me paint the picture. I've destroyed a third of his renal function with cyclosporin. Um, he, I, at, because of a combination regimen with Imuran, prednisone and stuff, I knocked out his hip. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the prednisone that did that. Um, so now I have him on a regimen of methotrexate and Celsep together. But today we emailed about his topical regimen. He's on methotrexate and Celsept. And we're talking about his topicals. Yes, he needs more help. Because if you use good topical treatments, even if you need systemic treatments, you'll decrease the dose requirements. And that's got to be safer for them. Now, it's Halloween today. I've never spoken on Halloween. But I happen to dig up just a, a few uh, pics of my kiddos' uh, uh, Halloweens over the years. Um, they're much earlier pictures, but I couldn't easily find them. Uh, and uh, all three. Um, have active acne, all three have atopic dermatitis. And this was the most recent year for my daughters. Uh, uh, this was last year. I don't think they're dressing up tonight because they're sophisticated, nearly 16-year-olds, and they don't do that anymore. Thank you so much for your kind attention.
Questions? Thoughts? Everybody's dying to get out and see the, the nightlife tonight, the exciting costumery out there. Great. Well, I'll stick around for a little while and back. You've been a great audience. Thanks a million.